Hello and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Vorst and I'm your host for the show and one of the pastors at Life Church. Thanks for joining us today as we finish out our code series. And this is going to be our final code, Driven by New Life. Uh, I do need to let you know this one's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to give the message. And then uh, the whole message, what we did is it, it led toward a much more elongated worship time, time of singing and praising. And so if you would like to participate in that, uh, I would encourage you to maybe get some music, some worship music if you want, or some classical music, whatever it is that helps you connect with God, focus on God, and then play that after you listen to this message and and just spend five, 10 minutes really uh, focusing on, reflecting on God. And all of the reason for that is going to make sense when you hear this message. Also, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast if you're newer to it so that you can stay up to date on uh, the podcasts that we do, uh, other information that you might need to hear about, including next week is Partner Sunday. We're going to invite you after you have listened to all of these messages about our code to become a partner at Life Church. You'll hear more about that next week, so I encourage you to tune in. And then lastly, if you'd like to invest with uh, with what God is doing at Life Church and uh, and give, be generous to to this community. I would encourage you to check out lifechurchcanton.org/give. And I want to thank you ahead of time for considering investing in what God is doing in and through Life Church. Now, here's the message. Well, hello and welcome to Life Church. How are we doing today? That's not good enough. No, come on. How are we doing today? Much better. Welcome. We're glad you're here. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors, and I'm excited for you to be with us. If you're watching online, thanks for joining us. If you are in the room, you have a Connect card. We'd love for you to fill that out and get connected with us. We can help you take your next steps. Those of you online, there's somebody moderating the chat, and they'd love to connect with you as well. So at any time, if you have a prayer request, if you have a question, just put it right there in the chat and let us know. Have you ever been to a dinner party before? Uh, Maybe you go to somebody's house and they open up the door and they immediately hand you the main course. No, that would be weird, right? Like normally when you go over to somebody's house or apartment or whatever, you go inside, you get to know them a little bit more, you're talking small talk and then maybe getting a little bit deeper, maybe you get a drink or something like that, and then eventually you move into the dinner. Well, here's the thing. Today is going to be a little bit like the first version that I introduced to you. I'm going to start my message right now. We're just going to get right after it and go right for it. Uh, and I'm going to do something. Oh, we even got some cheers on that one. That's cool. Uh, I want to tell you a couple wedding stories, okay? Uh, the first wedding story that I want to tell you is about my best friend, Adam. My best friend, Adam, we grew up together all throughout a little bit of elementary school into middle school and then all of high school. We hung out together, even into college. Uh, he and I got uh, engaged to be married around the same time. His wedding was first. And he was the best man in my wedding. I wasn't the best man in his wedding because it was a little bit smaller, and he just had his brother. She just had her sister, and they stood. But I was obviously still invited to the wedding. I just didn't have to go there early. And so the day of the wedding, uh, I called him up, and I said, hey, I just need uh, directions to get to the place because it was going to be held on her family's farm. And I'd never been there before. I'd been to the small town. It's a small farming community in northwest Iowa, uh, but I'd never been to the farm. So I was like, can you just give me some general directions on the country roads be- 
because uh, that'll help me get to where I'm going. And so he does. I'm already in the car. I don't have anything to write down. I don't have MapQuest or anything like that. So he calls and gives me the directions as I'm driving, and I'm like, I'll just have to remember them the best that I can. I get lost. I get lost. I don't know where I'm going. Uh, somehow, finally, I remember some of the street signs of these country roads, and it's all gravel roads and everything like that. And finally, I get to the place where I'm pretty sure it's the wedding uh, because there is the wedding uh, that's taking place right there out on the lawn. I want to show you an image of kind of what it looked like. I drive up, and it's like right there on the lawn. And out, I don't know if you've been out in the country very much, but like there's no other sounds. It's just me and my car on this gravelly limestone road, the wedding has already begun. And here I am in my car driving up, and it's this loud gravel road, and everybody in their seats turns and looks over at me. And they all know it's me because they know me and Adam were best friends growing up, and they all know who it is. And then there I am at the end of the driveway, like trying to figure out, like, should I keep on driving and just make more noise as like, you know, over the gravel? Or do I just like stay here and like watch the wedding from a distance? And what is happening as I pull up? is the bride is starting to walk down the aisle. It's this like, it's like this, the most special moment of the wedding. And I just see everybody's looks on their faces. My, my best friend is looking at me just like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, th- this is a joke, right? Uh, there's a reason why I wasn't the best man, apparently. So uh, have you ever had that moment where you just freak out? You're just like, oh my gosh, I, I majorly screwed up here. I majorly messed up. And all because I wasn't focused, I didn't take good directions, all because of that, I missed out on this primary, key, joyous moment of being able to see my best friend's face as his bride is walking down the aisle. We're in the last code of our series. We're talking about the last code, and this code is all about how and why and where we direct our focus so that we don't miss out, so that we don't miss out on the primary element of what this is all for and where this is all headed. And you might be even asking the question, well, where is this all going? I thought, like, if you were here last week, it kind of felt like, well, that's the end. Like, that's really the ultimate thing that you can do if you're multiplying, if you're making disciples who make other disciples. Well, then, of course, that's the end. You've arrived. There's still more. There's still more. And this next code, this last code, is all about how and where we direct our focus so that we don't miss out on what the more is. I want to tell you another wedding story. This is an ancient story that was written down, but it's about a wedding that hasn't yet taken place. It's a vision of a wedding that is yet to come. Let me read it for you and see if you can see this imagery. It says this, I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. Hallelujah, right? Can somebody say amen with that? All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. This is some kind of wedding, right? This is the wedding I want to go to. This is the wedding I don't want to show up late to. I want to make sure that I have directions for this kind of wedding. 
This is a beautiful wedding. It's a, it's a vision out of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. But when you talk about weddings, that's actually not the end of anything. It's the beginning of something new. We get this brand new, beautiful wedding at the end of the story, which signifies a new beginning. And then the story continues to unfold as we look through Revelation 21 to 22, 23. It says, I saw no temple in the city. What is that about? The, the writer is a, is a Jewish person, an ancient Jewish person who their whole lives are centered around the temple. It's this central structure that defined their identity, that gave them meaning, not just religiously, but economically and politically and socially. This is where it all happened. But here in the end, he says, no, 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 I didn't see a temple in the city for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. So if the, pers- the first part that I read is sort of the, the wedding, this is the wedding continuing to unfold. This is sort of like the reception, right, that's taking place, and it's out there in the open. And it's, it's for all to experience. I got to go to Israel several years ago. And there was one day we were just walking around the city, and what had happened is a wedding just took place. But then they go out, and they sort of parade through the city with just a handful of people. And there's musicians and people dancing, and the the bride and the groom are dancing as well. And, like, you can't help but get caught up in the moment. Like, everybody's in it. And I wasn't even part of the wedding. I'm not even Jewish. And yet I got to, like, celebrate with this couple who's going through the city. It was this beautiful thing. All of that signifies this sort of image of what God is doing. This wedding is not just confined to this building, but no, it's out in the city, and it's for all to experience. The glory of God is radiating throughout the whole city. They don't even need lights. They don't need a moon. They don't need a sun. They have God. This, Life Church, this is where this is all headed. This is where this is all going. We don't just stop with making disciples who make disciples. No, no, no. This is about God's glory that fills the earth. And we all get to participate in it. This is some kind of wedding. It's a wedding that is the beginning of something new where everything is being made new. It's not, I have made things new. I am making all things new. This newness and this life just continues to flow out of the glory of God. This is some kind of wedding that I want to be a part of. Now, why is this significant? Well, if this is how the story of the whole Bible ends with a wedding, how does it begin? With a wedding. If you're newer to the Bible, you might not know this, but Genesis is the first book of the Bible. In the very second chapter of the book, we get a wedding. It's a wedding of the first parts of humanity. We get Adam and Eve who are joined together in perfect unity. It says they were naked, but they felt no shame. It was this beautiful, perfect wedding. And then the very next verse, the very next chapter is their reception. And every good reception, if you've been to a wedding, every good reception has a meal, right? You got to have the meal. Well, they have a meal. We've talked about this meal just a couple weeks ago. This is a different kind of meal, a different kind of reception that doesn't go according to plan, or at least according to God's plan for them. See, what happens is with this meal, they decide for themselves that they don't actually need God anymore. They don't need their creator, the one who had given them newness and life and marriage and union. They don't need him anymore. In fact, they decide by participating in this meal that they get get to be their own gods. 
They get to replace God. This is the very definition of idolatry. I don't need God anymore. I've got it. I'll take it from here. And as a result of participating in this meal, they also introduce something new into their lives. It's death. It's fracture. It's brokenness. It's cancer. It's sickness. It is sin. This is a different kind of meal that goes horribly wrong, and it's introduced to all of humanity and all of creation. This is a bad start to the story, a failed wedding, if you will, with a horrible reception. This is why the vision in Revelation is so significant, because we move from a wedding that goes horribly wrong to a wedding that brings redemption. We move from a failed garden wedding to a successful, never-ending reception wedding in a city that goes on forever and ever. And it's all made possible because where there was once brokenness, now there has to be reconciliation. And this reconciliation comes from the lamb who was slain, which is how Revelation talks about Jesus. Only the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and now the return of Jesus makes this wedding and this reception possible. And now all things are being made new. All of this newness and life is flowing from the glory of God. This Wedding imagery is an intentional pattern of what God is doing throughout the whole of scriptures. Starts with a wedding, ends with a wedding. And then in between, we get Jesus talking about weddings all of the time. His very first miracle was performed at a wedding. They ran out of wine. Jesus saw that as an issue. And so he brings more wine to the wedding. He talks about wedding banquets and ceremonies to talk about this vision of the future of what God has in store for all of creation. This is what God is intending to do, moving us from creation to new creation, from a bad reception to a never-ending reception. And it's the joining of heaven and earth, God's space and our space in perfect unity. And as I said before, weddings are not the end of anything, but they're actually the beginning. There is joy and excitement because there's so much potential and anticipation for what's to come. I've been a pastor for about 16 years now, and I've gotten to perform a lot of marriages. Some of my favorite marriages to perform are those of like super young couples where they're like 21, 22, 23, because they just have this dumb look on their face. Like they have no idea. I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just, it's kind of cute. Actually, it's adorable to look at them and be like, you don't know what you're going into. And I, I love it. There's these moments where I'm, I'm performing the ceremony. I'm looking at them and, and I'm looking at the guy and he's like reaching for the Kleenex in his pocket, not to, you know, wipe his eyes, but to wipe his forehead because he's just dripping with sweat and they're just so nervous and sometimes they can't get the the ring on because they're so hot and sweaty that their fingers swell up. It's just a beautiful moment. There's excitement, right? And there's anticipation for what's to come. And what I say to these couples is to say, hey, this moment isn't just for you. It it is, and and you're going to experience a lot of joy for all of this, but you you get to put on display ultimately what God is doing throughout all of creation, joining heaven and earth together. What you're doing in this moment is a glimpse of what is to come, and we're all witnesses to that. But then your marriage goes out into the world, and you continue to put on display what 
image God has for all of creation, joining together, being reconciled together, two independent spaces coming together as one. This isn't just for you. And this is a moment of excitement and newness flows from this. All of this wedding imagery, it points us to the glory and the joy of God, of who God is. We need this kind of vision to keep us going, to drive us forward. Because there's so many other things that could distract us from that. So many other things that could hold our attention, at least temporarily. But then more pain comes, more sorrow comes, more crying comes, and then we get distracted, we get lost, we lose our focus. No, we need this vision, this sort of eternal vision to keep us driving forward. And here's the thing, in this life, in this world, in this culture that we live in right now, there are so many other things that could drive us, right, that could keep us going. For some of us, it's, it's the weekend, right? Like, everybody's working for, okay, I won't sing on the worship team anymore. But like things to keep us going, it's status, it's money, it's our careers. For students, it's like, I hope I can make that sports team, or I hope I can get a good grade on my test, or I hope I can get into that college that I want to. Like, we have these things that drive us, that keep us moving. I want to be abundantly clear that at Life Church, we're driven by one thing, and that is new life. We are driven by it. It is the only thing that keeps us going, and that new life is flowing out of the glory of God as God sits on his throne in this vision of this wedding reception that takes place in this future state that we get to experience, that we get to participate in. It's God's glory radiating from that throne, and out of that is this ever-flowing river of God's goodness and joy and hope and anticipation for more for more things being made new over and over and over. That is a wedding I do not want to miss. It is a vision that drives us as a church. We are driven by new life. Now, here's the thing. What do we do in the here and now? How do we begin to live as a church with this kind of anticipation moving forward? What do we do now? Do we just sort of sit and twiddle our thumbs and just, well, that's a really cool picture of what's to come, so I'll just sit here and hang out and hope for the best. No, the early church had this idea that the future, this existent reality that hadn't quite come into its full expression yet, that it had already broken into the present, and that there was this compelling movement to already begin to participate in this vision. It had already broken into the present, and so they focused their lives around this idea. It says this in the book of Acts. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and the sharing in meals, which included the Lord's Supper, which is what, if you're newer to the church, we call communion. We have bread and juice or wine uh, to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made, the lamb who was slain, right? The death on the cross, the crucifixion, we remember that his body was broken, his blood was poured out as an act of sacrifice for the reconciling of all of creation, all of humanity, to join together as one with God's space, with heaven, with God's goodness and his love and his joy. This is what they did. They took part in meals together. They included the Lord's Supper and they devoted themselves to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers, they met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. 
They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This community, this church, organized their lives in the here and now around this future hope of what was ultimately yet to come. They started eternity now, in this moment. And they organized their group to live in such a way. Pay attention to these verbs. They devoted themselves. They met together. They sold their things. They were generous. They shared with each other. They were worshiping. They were praising. They were joying the goodwill of all the people. The verbs that get mentioned the most are they met and they shared. They met and they shared. They met and they shared with one another. This is a very different view. This is completely countercultural to what we are used to as Americans. They got together and they shared so that nobody had any needs. Everybody's needs were being met. Everybody's needs were being taken care of. And as a result of their meeting and sharing, guess what? It's God who added to their number. All they did was just take care of each other, and God added to their number and saved people as a result of it, of them being the community that God designed them to be, to be generous, to be unselfish, to be humble, and all the while doing what? Praising God. Praising God, giving him worship, giving him the glory and the honor that he deserves, but also enjoying the goodwill of all the people. People from all different backgrounds, from different tribes, from different stories, from different languages, all of these people joined together. There was this multi-ethnic community that joined together that was completely countercultural. You would not do, and yet they did, and they praised God together. See, here's the thing. We have to develop a vision for what that looks like. And we get it from Revelation as well. Let me go back to that. There's a couple sections here in chapter 4 and in chapter 7. It says day after day. This is the vision again of what this is all going to look like, where this is all headed. It says day after day, night after night, they kept on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. And you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. And then later on it says this, After I saw this vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe, in other words, every ethnicity and every people and every language, standing in front of the throne before the, lo- the Lamb, and they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, which that's an ancient sign of worship and victory. It's over. The battle's done. It's over. And God is in charge. And now there's a new beginning that is happening, and it requires a community of multi-ethnic people joining together. This is so crucial that we pay attention to where this is all headed so that we organize now, today, in preparation for what's to come. We're driven by new life. Our community must be faithful to represent this community who praises God, who worships God. We are driven by new life, and I would say it this way, that we exist to
to give God glory. That's it. That is why we are here. We exist to give God glory. Now, some of you might be like a little bit skeptical, especially if you're newer to the faith, or maybe you're not sure about faith yet. Because what this does is this conjures up images of God, of what God is like. Is God just some sort of narcissistic, selfish being? Is he like some immature toddler who's jumping up and down? Like, you need to give me glory. Is that what this is like? Like, we just need to please God. We have to give him glory. So he's not going to throw some other tantrum or just like make him happy. Just give him the snacks. Just give him the water. Like, is that, is that what this is like? Is that what God is like? Here's the thing, when I say we exist to give God glory, I could also say we exist to give glory anywhere, really. Like, we are made in our human nature, we will give glory. We'll give it somewhere. We will direct our worship somewhere. It's just a matter of who or what. It could be our relationships, it could be our fame or status or money or our job or career or school, whatever it is. We will give those things glory. We will give them our worship. Now, we might not necessarily sing and sing praise songs to our wallets or to our bank accounts or to our careers. It maybe doesn't look the same way, right? But we think about it. We dwell on it. We give it our focus and our attention, which is normal because that's the sin of idolatry. We've found something to replace our worship of God. Here's the problem with that. It's all temporary. And Jesus and the early church were far more interested in eternal things, which is why the people of God would say, we exist to give God glory. Because from God exist all things that we need. And then we organize ourselves around that mentality which is why we meet and we share and we give and we sell things and then we give that money away and then we worship and we praise God. So we make sure that nobody has any needs. That's what the people of God are called to. We exist to give God glory, not just in some future state, but right here, right now, in this moment, which is why we continue. We meet every Sunday. We sing, we praise, we share with one another. We live generously. We exist to give God glory. It's what drives us forward, this new life. Here's the thing. These people that we see in Revelation, they're not just doing something to please God because he's some immature toddler. It's not some sort of robotic or reluctant compulsion that they're drawn into. No, no, no. They are actively, willingly acknowledging God and giving him glory because from God is all good things. They can't help it. He is holy. He is honorable. He is worthy of their worship because out of him flows this ever-flowing stream of goodness and newness and life and light and joy. It's like a wedding reception that never ends. There's dancing, there's music, there's joy, there's laughter. Certainly no more crying, no more tears, no more cancer, no more divorce, no more bullying, no more suicide. Just life. And it just keeps on coming. Behold, look, I am making all things new. And if we're driven by this new life, we can't help but respond. It demands a response from us. 
which is why we have decided to switch things up a little bit today to direct all of our attention toward worship. Our action step, our one action step for today is to worship. We are going to worship God for who he is. And yes, we are going to do that through singing. We're going to spend some intentional time just singing and worshiping God. Now, if you were here at the beginning, we adjusted things a little bit today. I said this illustration. I said, you know, if you were to go to somebody's house for a dinner party and they invite you in, they immediately hand you the main course. And then I said, uh, so I'm going to start with preaching. I misspoke intentionally. See, sometimes I think we think that, well, church is all about the spoken word. That's the main course. That's what we're here for. We just here for the, we're here for the sermon, we're here for the message, and everything else is just appetizers and desserts. But here's the thing. All of what we do in our time together, all of what we do is an act of worship. All of it is an opportunity to give God glory. Yes, to encounter Jesus. Yes, to connect with one another, but to give God glory. And in fact, that flows into all of our lives. In every other part of our lives, our lives are meant to be a living sacrifice, a sacrifice, an act of worship to God for who he is. All of who he is demands a response. And so we wanted to spend our time intentionally singing, worshiping. Because sometimes there's something that music can do that just the spoken word can't. Even neuroscience has caught up with this idea that it can unlock areas of the brain that it can actually redirect our focus back onto who God is. And there's, there's something also about music that is somewhat transcendent. It's why the ancient people all throughout the scriptures, they bring instruments, they bring poetry, they bring singing, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs all to sort of grasp at this version, this idea, this concept, this image of who God is and just be able to respond to that God. We must be faithful to this. We're driven by new life. In just a moment, the worship team is going to come up and they're going to lead us in this time of worship through singing. Now, for some of you, if you're a little bit newer here, you're like, I don't know about this. We're just going to spend the rest of the time singing? That seems a little weird. That seems awkward. What if I don't believe in this stuff yet? What if I'm not sure about Jesus? What if I don't know about the Bible? What, what do I do with that? You're just invited. You are invited into it to encounter Jesus. You don't have to do anything weird. You just, you're invited into it. But I need to let you know that if you continue to be part of this church, our code is important to us and we are driven by new life. We exist to give God glory and so we must be faithful to who God is calling us to be. And so you might need to do any number of things. You might need to stand. You might need to sit and just reflect. Some of you might need to shout and sing at the top of your lungs and others might just need to be quiet. Some of you might actually need to just kneel because you can't think of anything else to do but to humble yourself because of who God is, because he has reconciled us from our idolatry, from our thinking that we can replace God with ourselves or with our money or with our status, only to realize that it all crumbles and God is the only one that's eternal. And now he invites us to participate in the joy of his presence. I want us to start out by sitting. 
And along the way, David's going to invite you to do other things, maybe with your hands, maybe just, maybe just stand, and you have permission to engage in all of it or none of it. It's entirely up to you. But I want to give you one last piece of wedding imagery. You go to a wedding, there's something that happens with music and with our posture. And it's that moment when the bride is about to turn the corner and to start walking down the aisle. Everything changes. The music changes. Even our posture changes. Because we all stand up in many traditions. We stand up and we turn our attention to want to be able to see the bride and her face. And then we might look back at the groom. We want to see what he's doing. We look back and forth. We want to see them seeing each other. And then we all get our phones out, right? Or our giant iPads and we just cover up everybody's view. I'm not bitter about that. Because we want to capture this moment because there's so much joy, but there's also this anticipation for what's to come and then this great party that's going to take place afterward. God is inviting us into something that is filled with joy. I want us to, in our hearts and our minds, to anticipate what God is up to. I want us to respond in worship with a sense of intentionality today that maybe we've never done before if we've been coming to this church. I want you to do whatever it is that the Spirit of God is willing you to do. First, I want to pray. And for some of you, you just, you need to move your body in such a way that prepares for this. Maybe that means putting your hands out a little bit. Maybe you're here with a friend or a loved one and they're really hurting or struggling. Worship isn't just this individualistic activity that we do, but we actually join with others. Maybe you need to hold their hand put your arm around them to comfort them. God, we recognize that your presence is here. Continue to come, Holy Spirit, and to make us new. And even as I talk about this language of being driven and driving forward and going forward, some people in the room or watching online are like, I've got no gas left. I'm exhausted. There's so much going on in my life, so many circumstances that are just stealing my attention away from you, God. And if that's you, I would just say God is very well aware. He is close to the brokenhearted. If that's you, you need to just sit, you need to rest, you need to reflect, to remember God's goodness, and we will worship for you. We will give God glory along with you and along your side. God, stir in our hearts something new, something fresh. We want to encounter you in a new way today. We want to give you glory. Thanks again for joining us. I'll try to keep it brief. I want to encourage you, remind you to get some music that you can worship God with, that you can glorify Him, that you can reflect on Him. Um, take some time to do that when you get a chance. Also, I want to remind you next Sunday, 
is Partnership Sunday. If you're not somebody who attends regularly but would like to um, come in person uh, and, and become a partner, you can do that. If you would like to stay home but become a partner, uh, please reach out to us and we want to get you plugged in uh, to be able to do that and give you some more information for how to become a partner and what that all entails. Uh, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. We'll see you back here real soon.